Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. My guest is Paul Mola. He's the founder, president, and CEO of Roswell Biotech. The website is roswellbiotech.com. So, Paul, how are you doing? Thank you for coming. It's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's absolutely uh, great to be here to, to talk to you guys about Roswell. Thank you. Yeah, tell me, what's the, um, you know, Roswell reminds me of uh, Aliens and Area 51. Where, where did the name come from and what's the premise of the company? <laughs> well, um, it, the name really comes from the fact that we, we, we are an emerging technology, if you think about it, at the outer edges of what is possible. We are taking molecules and integrating them into, into nanocircuits and making them part of the, of the circuit, which is pretty much an out-of-this-world sort of uh, idea that was seemed to be, to be very alien. And so for us, it was very... It was simpler to tell people that the technology and inspiration came from uh, from outer space or from aliens, <laughs> and we'll try to explain it. And that's that, that's the genesis of the name. What's the, uh, the premise of the company, though? It's like, what what are you guys working on? So um, we are we come from myself and uh, my co-founder Barry Merman. We we come from uh, the sort of genomics uh, field, and we have been very passionate to drive uh, application of genomics technologies to solve disease. And uh, having been uh, around the block, both from a technology development side of things, but also from a practitioner where we are, you know, worked with governments and, and, and large entities to, to actually catalog and sequence uh, genomes in the millions, uh, millions of genomes, we realized that the technology was just not ready to actually be undertaking these population scale projects. And so the idea is that uh, if you think about uh, precision medicine and wanting precision medicine to be a, a reality, we need to go out there and sequence uh, genomes at scale to create uh, a knowledge base, then which becomes the foundation from which we can start to interpret and, and, and understand what the genome is. And so we... Uh, um, after we, we went out there and tried to execute these, these projects and realizing the technology wasn't ready, we went back to the drawing board and uh, uh, sudden uh, sort of advancements in technologies in nanofabrication, in CMOS fabrication, made it possible now to, to approach the, the technology from a different perspective where we can actually drive some very drastic uh, sort of specifications, primarily around the cost to sequence the genome, and secondly, around the, the simplicity and turnaround time, such that these devices we're, we are making can be deployed at a doctor's office and allow the doctor to very simply, without um, because of a simple workflow, run and, and, and sort of analyze a genome uh, relatively quickly uh, and, and cheaply and make that then um, uh, sort of drive then uh, at least the, uh, the the make the genome just be part of that medical record and medical practice. Uh, so just to summarize again, then what what we're about is revolutionizing 
our ability to read the genome uh, in a way that we are going to make it uh, democratize that and make it available then for people as you go to your doctor's office to to have that as a part of your record. Well, even if you did that, I don't know if the doctors would know what to do with it at this point. I mean, you know, if magically we could do that today, what what would the doctors do, or is that part still lagging? You you are absolutely correct. That part is still lagging, and it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. And and the issue which you're highlighting is that if I were to sequence you today, uh, the utility of your genome is very little because we don't understand a lot about it. And the way you solve that is that you essentially need to create the this you know uh, genomic encyclopedia where if I see a mutant or a given variation in your genome, I can go look it up and, and then the, the encyclopedia will tell me exactly what's the problem, what are the potential medications, you know, what other therapies are available. And we do not have that encyclopedia today. It does not exist. There's a very, very, you know, just a few chapters of it have been written, written versus volumes. And the way we write the encyclopedia is we, like, we need to sequence genomes at scale and by sequencing many people and stratifying these people into, you know, diseased versus normal category, into males versus female, into different age groups, then we are able to start to, to, to see the patterns that cause disease and we are able to start to drill down to the very specific uh, changes in the genome that result in a given uh, phenotype. And so why we, ha we do not have that encyclopedia today is because it actually costs, you know, about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to sequence one genome. And, and the problem is that the insurance company won't pay for it because the utility does not exist today. And the way you solve it, uh, hence the chicken and egg problem is we need to go then and find a way, uh, to fund creation of this encyclopedia which means it is all about cost. And, and so we are gonna drive down cost, and by doing that, we'll unlock um, all these studies and, and sequencing of populations uh, where uh, a, um, you know, a government or a large entity can just pay for it to create a foundational knowledge base. And, and so that's where we feel that uh, our step one is going to be to unlock these, these large uh, uh, population initiatives uh, you know, there's the Genome England, there's the Cancer Moonshot in the USA, uh, there's the Million Veteran Program, for example. So all these programs have samples just queued up and, and ready to be sequenced, and we'll be able to unlock that and start then the process of, of creating these knowledge bases that then get leveraged uh, for precision medicine uh, in the future. So what types of things uh, are people seeing already from sequencing genomes? Has anyone Is anyone sitting on a database of even a thousand people sequenced or ten thousand people, and you know what are they saying? Yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, there, there are such efforts. Uh, you know, human longevity, for example, here in San Diego, uh, Nant Health uh, up in up in LA. There's various initiatives. There's, uh, there's the Saudi Genome Project. There's the Genome England Project. I think the the one that I like to highlight is the is the Saudi Genome Project. And what they did there is they went in and sequenced. Not the full genome, but uh, as part of the genome, which we call the exome, it is about 10% of the genome and represents uh, the part of the genome that expresses proteins. And they sequenced that for their population. Um, the net result is they created a catalog 
of information about variants uh, that are specific to their, their, their sort of country. And what they've done now is uh, uh, in Saudi Arabia, before someone gets, before a couple gets married, they uh, are required to, to take this, uh, or they are required to, to uh, take this uh, test that is going to ass assess these variants in, in the potential couple, and they get a report that tells them, hey, uh, if you guys are going to have children, uh, you both, you, it's highly likely that you'll have a child who's got X or Y or Z, and uh, they are counseled, and, and then they have an option to either proceed to marry or not. And um, they've actually been able to drive incidences of, dis of some diseases uh, in the region by almost 50% just because of uh, decisions to not get married and, and, and have children, for example. So, you know, that is uh, one example. And on a sort of, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, just some of the, the diseases out there, you can look for, for example, single-point mutation diseases, right, which, which, which results in genetic diseases of, of various sorts. Uh, you are looking at, if you consider cancer and cancer therapy, they are markers that have been identified that can actually help to inform therapy. So yes, this, this is being used today, uh, and uh, I think it's just a drop in the ocean as far as the potential then to, to take this to the next level uh, by even creating more robust knowledge and, uh, and uh, to, to drive this forward. So what's going to be required to get the sequencing below the $1,000 threshold? Well, it is, uh, the, if you look at the current sequencing technologies today, I mean, uh, if, if the current market leader has been at this almost uh, two decades of really incremental improvement of, of their foundational technology. Uh, there's other approaches in the market that really have persisted for, for at least uh, two or three decades. What Rosewell is bringing to the table is a really, it's, think of it as a step change technology in, in creating a biosensor. And so because what we, we are doing is we are marrying uh, CMOS technology, and CMOS technology is really the technology that is used to, to make the, you know, the chips in your computer or, or in your phone. Uh, these chips are manufactured using very advanced uh, factories or foundries. There's trillions of dollars of investments that have gone into these foundries. And the, the beauty of CMOS is the ability to integrate into a very small uh, chip, uh, very powerful sort of uh, capability. And so CMOS itself is a nanotechnology. And so what Rosewell is doing is that we've found a way to essentially develop what we call it's a nanochemistry that then is compatible with a CMOS chip and if you marry these two, then you provide a very powerful platform that can actually scale. Uh, and CMOS is a very scalable technology, and having a chemistry that scales with CMOS then opens up a whole new world uh, in, the, in the world of biosensing. And so the idea is that um, we are taking the, the, the enzyme that actually in nature makes DNA or makes a copy of DNA, and then we are using that enzyme essentially to make a photocopy of, of a piece of DNA. And then as it makes this copy, we are actually able to, to eavesdrop and monitor the enzyme electronically and, and, and very, very directly. And, and so when you take the, the enzyme, the polymerase, uh, you integrate it into these nanocircuits. And then as the enzyme starts to do what it does in nature, 
uh, it starts to send out these signals, and it's going to and that's how we we actually read. And so the idea then is uh, because of the technology platform and the scalability and the cost of that platform, uh, primarily being on CMOS, it allows us then to start to approach these cost uh, basis and performance that was previously actually uh, just a dream and, and not possible. And so for us, uh, the $100 genome is really a starting point. Uh, we, we see a roadmap to getting to to $10 genomes, um, uh, you know, right now it is a $100 one-hour genome is what we are targeting, but with a roadmap that goes to $10, 10-minute uh, genome. And that's where uh, we feel that then we, we have the, the specifications that can unlock this uh, precision medicine market and really change the way we, we practice medicine today. And right now it's $1,000, and how long does it take on average? Uh, on average, it just takes about 24 hours um, and uh, and about $1,000. Uh, other key point to note is that the technology is currently being used today to sequence a genome. Uh, these are about a million dollars a piece. And uh, so if you think about that, just the the cost of getting the, the instrumentation and the platform uh, into a lab is, is mostly cost prohibitive. And then running it then is the other uh, problem where you have to then, you know, it's about a thousand bucks to, to run it and, uh, and get a result. And so the idea here is that it does not need to be a million dollar instrument, right? It needs to be, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars to get that instrument at the doctor's office or in the clinic or uh, in a lab. And then it shouldn't be too much to, to, to run uh, per genome. So we are trying to revolutionize it from multiple angles as well. Um, and it's not just the cost per genome, but it's the entire sort of ecosystem to to run and uh, and operate such systems. So you're going to try to maybe do several different sequencings in parallel to do it faster, or what? How would you do it faster, and how would you do it? Uh, you know, so much. Well, I guess we'll just talk about the faster part. Yeah, it's exactly. So it, we're not playing the game of actually just um, you know. Um, uh, like having what what we'll do is we'll have a single chip that gives you every chip will give you a genome and that chip is going to be tuned with the appropriate features so that when you run it for one hour then you, you actually get your genome and um, there'll be other systems of course in the future that we'll, we'll consider that are going to be more for a factory type setting where you can you know run multiple chips and get multiple genomes at a time and and so we are considering both approaches. Well, how are genome sequenced right now, according to your understanding? Like, literally, what are some of the details of what happens? Well, the, the way genomes are sequenced right now is um, uh, it's the same way if you, if you were to take, say, a page from a book and, and you wanted to make a photocopy of the book. There's two ways to do it, right? One is I can sort of take an image of the whole book and, and copy it the way it's done today. Or if you had uh, very sort of archaic uh, technologies, you you could think of an approach where you're copying one letter at a time, which takes um, a, a lot more time to do, uh, introduces more errors because uh, of just the way that technology works. So today, the technology is akin to, to copying one letter at a time. And essentially, uh, the, the instruments, the way they do it is they, they make, they sort of, copy one letter, and then they pause, uh, they, they have to then wash everything again off uh, from the system, and then uh, introduce then the next letter, then they mix, read the next letter, 
wash, clean up, and then read the next one, and, and so on, until you've read your 3 billion letters of, of the human genome. Uh, in our case, we actually do not do it that way. We, our system is more like we photocopy the whole page at a time. And this is about uh, when you think about read length and, and, and that sort of thing, or if you think about the way we, we are sequencing by having it's like real-time sequencing where we do not need to do these stop and washes. And these stop and washes uh, are what add up a lot of time uh, and require, that's why it's you know, 24 hours plus to sequence today. And with every step of this other system's approach, uh, they, because you have to wash off and reintroduce new reagents and new materials, it's essentially very wasteful. And, and so you, 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 it's wasteful, it's slow, uh, and it's also cumbersome and creates for a very complex technology uh, because the way uh, they, because just because of the way they sequence. Uh, in our case, we introduce all the reagents uh, in solution, and when we hit go, then the enzyme just runs through the, the genome and, and reads the whole thing and in the process makes a copy of it without needing to stop it sort of artificially uh, between each letter that is read. Yeah, that sounds like a lot faster. And then offline, essentially, you could process things much, like extremely quickly with computers. Yes, exactly. And and that's all about the sensor. The the way that it is currently done, just to go a little bit more into the technology, and I can go as, as deep as you want, but the way it's done today, the genome has four letters, right? So you have your A, G, C, O, T. And each of these letters has a different uh, sort of dye associated with it. And what they do is um, you, you take a template, which means uh, you know you have your the, the page that you want to photocopy, and then I'm going to flow in uh, one letter at a time uh, and and see whether this letter actually is the letter, right? So if I flow in an A, for example, and the letter that I'm looking for is is a G, the A will will sort of just not stick, and then it, I have to wash it off. Then I flow in a G, and then if the G sticks. Then what I do is I actually take a picture, and when I take a picture, I'm actually I'm going to see then oh wow okay that's green, that means that that is actually a G, and and then I say fine now let's wash off the G, uh, and cleave off this dye and then introduce the next one, and so it's very um, uh, <laughs> you know the technology is really just it's lo we've sort of been forced to adopt this technology in a very unnatural way that with the way the enzyme works i have to stop it between the reads i have to then take a picture uh and then wash it so it's slow it's laborious it's not as uh, slick and uh versus saying you know what let's just load up all the reagents i do not need any fluorophores i'm going to use natural bases agct and then when i leave it in there the enzyme just starts to work and I'm monitoring it in real time. And, and then those are the signals I get out of it, which are all digital and electronic versus optical uh, images that I need to take. I guess at least as an early stopgap, it sounds like you should run four different preparations, one for each uh, base pair, and then you, uh, you know, you'd have to wash it maybe not at all or not or less frequently. Do one for A, one for C, one G, one T, or is that, would that not work? Yeah, no, it, it, it literally does need that. Uh, the, the way it works is um, is is it has to, if, if you don't have a, a, a compatible letter, I still need to take a picture and I'm going to see dark, which means I don't have a letter, and then I have to wash all that stuff off and then go to the next one. There's no way of skipping 
uh, and I have to do everything very sequentially, uh, one at a time. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah. So where are you at with uh, with your process? How long until you're able to start uh, doing it? Well, so we've we've made uh, a lot of progress at Rosewell. Uh, the first uh, year of our operations, we just spent really figuring out how to to nanofabricate these devices. Uh, they are obviously we are at the bleeding edge of technology and the ability to make very very small uh, sort of uh, circuits that that approach the the size of um, uh, of the molecule itself. And so we've made those, uh, we've taken that chemistry and have successfully now deployed it on these uh, CMOS chips that we, we've made out of uh, uh, the world's leading fab in, in Taiwan. And now we're in a place where we are, we are really working to optimize the chemistry on chip and uh, then start to tune uh, the read length and, and accuracy and, and that sort of thing. So we we uh, are anticipating to get to to early access with uh, thought leaders in about the 18 to 24 month time frame, which then is going to be the the sort of a trigger to to go commercial. Okay. Yeah. Um. What's your timeline? Do you think it's going to be maybe another few months or a year, or when do you think there's going to be the first leap forward where you have your prototypes running and evaluating? Um, so we, we do have internal prototypes uh, running now. Um, so we're really looking 2020 to start to engage um, the thought leader market and the broader market in the 2020 uh, Q3, Q3, Q4 timeframe. Okay. Well, that's not too far away. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a work cut out for us. Well, when you do do this, again, what, what are some of the first things that you want to look at in aggregate when looking at DNA of many, many people? Um, well, the, you ask a good question, and the way we're developing this technology is um, we we want to read the D, the DNA or the genome in a very comprehensive manner, right? So, for example, uh, traditionally when when we read the genome, uh, as you know, right, we we have uh, if you if you look at humans, right, we 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 inherit one set of uh, genes from our parents. One set of genes from our, of, I mean, from the mother or from the father, and and we are not even at a place where we we need to understand what came from the father, what came from the mother. So we have to phase this genome. Two is we need to be able to actually look at the epigenetic changes in the genome. So it's not just the AGTC, but I'm going to look for other modifications which actually start to tell me more about how these genes are regulated. Uh, and then we just need to, to sequence them uh, at really long read lengths, which means I'm actually going to be able to get more, more, more better context and coverage of the genome. And so today, the way we sequence the genome is not at all sufficient for these reasons I've told you, and, and we are solving for that. And it's just a question of then which, which are the diseases that we want to target uh, first or which are the populations we want to target first. Uh, there's quite a few samples that have been curated by different uh, different uh, initiatives, like I mentioned some of them, the, the Cancer Moonshot pro, uh, Project here, or you know the Genome England, or Scottish Foundation uh, uh, Project, um, the Million Veteran Project. Um, we'll go to the Desheng Foundation, for example, and, and, and look at those samples. So we, we'll, we'll target samples that have been well curated, and uh, that means they have um, the, the, the 
other information that is not genomic, and it's just needing the genomic information then to pull it all together. And then we'll partner with those, uh, with those entities to, to start to at least drive creation of the knowledge base. That's going to be our initial focus before, before focusing then just on sort of indi individual uh, genomes that, that, that uh, you know, just to... So I guess the past point is, yes, let's, let's do the, the population scales and let's projects and let's see how we can actually um, facilitate or, or catalyze that effort in, in various countries. And then uh, following that, then it's, you have better utility of the genome. And, and that's probably going to be about a three- to five-year process before you, you start mm -hmm. um, realizing uh, back then the, the utility of that information. Well, what about the privacy of the data, though? Um, you know, in the U.S., you have HIPAA laws. And do you expect that you'll actually be able to not just be a provider of these, uh, you know, this technology but actually see the data results? Or is that all going to be siloed immediately? you know, per person or per doctor's office or, you know, I mean, per company? Yeah, you know, I, I've seen various sort of business models to, to approach this, and both of those are are available, right? Just for example, there's uh, many of these samples which are already curated. This is, you know, disease consortiums that have pulled together the people who, need uh, help the most, and uh, the, these disease consortiums then have, have taken the right steps to, to consent these samples, and, and so these are just ready to go. Uh, and the, the sequencing will be done under those frameworks, and there's then the right framework where the, the analysis of the results can be done and, and results provided or otherwise uh, we will just provide the genomic information back to these entities and, and they will then be able to make sense of them. Uh, there's the other then uh, sort of business models that we've seen emerge where they will pay to sequence your genome, but then you will sign rights to, to the data uh, where they can then uh, work with uh, pharma companies and, and biotechs to, to then you know, try to understand uh, and mine that information for then uh, therapies and, and, and druggable targets and, and that sort of thing. So it's still, I think at the end of the day is that we need to find a way that we, we are going to, to be able to, to provide our genomic information under a certain framework so that we can pull it all together and learn as much from it. Because we are not going to be able to learn just from looking at my genome alone. I have to look at it in the context of other people and so those are the frameworks that have not completely emerged, uh, but I think we know that there's uh, the world sort of warming up to that, right? If you think about what 23andMe has done, uh, there's quite a few people who've sent in their samples to be sequenced, and, and it's good because they can then go back and, and look at, you know, what has changed since I looked at my results because maybe there's been a new, new discovery and it has been applied to my, my, my sequence, and, and this is what it means. And so I think we're moving to that world. And yes, privacy remains a concern, but it's more about can, can one use uh, genomic information to discriminate? Because maybe I have a disease and I don't want uh, um, you know, the, uh, my insurance company to, to, to penalize me for that. And I think that you can take care of by, by the appropriate laws versus having that be, be a limitation for sharing and, and learning from each other's genomes. So that's kind of the way I, I will look at it. 
you think that this will be uh, something doable at home, where you'll be able to go to the store or just order a kit and <laughs> run it at home for yourself? Or is that uh, another level of complexity? No, I, I, I think if in 10 years' time, absolutely. I, I think there's going to be a time where where kids will be running genome sequencing experiments in the in, in schools. Uh, at home, you'll be able to just uh, sequence, uh, uh, you know, you, your child or, or your, your your sample to see whether you have an infection. So I think those, those yes, so I think it's coming and it's going to be, you know, especially in the world where you have uh, your cell phone integrated into all these other databases and knowledge bases that it will make sense that you're able to do it at home. And then also from a cost perspective, you sh it should be very, very affordable to do a simple $10 test at home and, and throw it away, just like you do, like, I don't know, a pregnancy test or something. Yeah, and the laws are going to have to evolve, too, because, uh, you know, you certainly don't want gene-based discrimination uh, in any yes. form or, you know, and the data needs to be kept uh, private because it could open someone up to vulnerabilities that would be unique to them. That is right. That is right. Yes. They, yes. The, the laws will need to catch up, but the technology is, is moving uh, probably faster than the laws. But uh, I believe there's already a law that was passed against um, genetic discrimination. But I think with time, we will even see more laws that are going to provide the protection to allow us to to generate this, this knowledge and, and share it and learn from each other in a way that is safe and 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 not um, you know in a way that doesn't discriminate well very good i mean it's amazing stuff you're working on and i appreciate you coming so what are some resources for listeners how can they find out more maybe reach out for collaboration or ideas yeah, I think the, our website is a, is a good starting point. Uh, we we do talk about the technology, um, and we are continuing to build the website. There's going to be more information on the website. We'll be You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner here. Future Technology and Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Continue to do interviews. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. We'll discover more website, future technology uh, on the website that employs to transform our lives for better or worse. Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, and printing, blockchain, virtual reality. Very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thanks for having us.